You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This is a podcast from comedianscomedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello, I'm Stuart Goldsmith, and here's another live show recorded at the Gilded Balloon at last year's Edinburgh Fringe Festival. You're going to have to focus in on this one. There's a lot of long words being said here, very fast indeed, in this fascinating conversation with Bo Burnham. Thank you very much for coming. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to be here. Thank you so much. Um, well, one thing, you know, I was, I was going before, I was saying, oh, I must remember to say something to you. The other thing was feel free to take the mic out. The, the yeah, pickup's that feels, not incredible. Yeah, it feels um, good. So we have, uh, we have Bo Burnham in the house, ladies and gentlemen. I'm absolutely thrilled. We very nearly, I feel like we nearly didn't have you because you've been jet-lagged and asleep all day. Yeah, no, I fell asleep at 10 and woke up uh, just before I came. So it's not okay. Great. I haven't been so jet lagged in my life. I'm not. I'm not usually terribly jet lagged, but I was. And I had like an hour of sleep yesterday, and I had like two moments on stage last night where I thought I was going to pass out. I yeah. was telling you earlier, like I was on stage, and I looked over the stool, the bar stool, and it went like, <laughs> like two hundred yards across the stage. Sure. And I was. I had the moment I got like dry mouth, and I was like, I'm going. This is 15 minutes in, I, I, and I had, I've only had this thought maybe once on stage. I'm not going to be able to finish. Sure. I'm getting short of breath. This isn't going to work. It was super hot in that room. Yeah. And uh, somehow I like stopped, took like a deep breath, and then sort yeah. of kept going. I don't, have you ever performed when you're like sick or you're ill on stage, and you it goes a bit hallucinogenic? You sort of thought, oh, this is a bit unreal. No, f- usually for me, is I'll be like sick before I go on stage, and then the drug of being on stage sure. gets rid of all of that. And like I'll get off stage and realize, oh... I just cut my hand open or like I've sprained my thumb. I've had moments where right the moment I get off stage, I feel all the it pain. It leaves you. The adrenaline leaves yeah, you. It's, suddenly it's, yeah, it's terrible. A yeah. broken mess. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about the, the show then, which I enjoyed very much. Who here saw the show last night? Good people. Cool. People putting their hands up, realizing we're being recorded and wooing. Excellent, excellent work. An intelligent audience. Yeah. Um, what I wanted to say was from your, I mean, so, so there's so much we can talk about, but one of the things that really occurred to me is that in your show, you do everything. You do one liners, you do musical comedy, you do, there's almost dance in it. There's, you know what I mean? There's lots of yeah, very yeah, physical sure. pieces, there's pre recorded jokes, there's props. Yeah. Is there anything that you and this is this is a, a maybe a mark of this show in particular? I hope this doesn't sound at all negative. But yeah. is there anything you don't think you can do? Uh, no, for sure. I think there's plenty that I don't do. I, I guess for me, like a lot of the things, whether it's like prop comedy or or physical comedy or songs or poems or jokes, they're all coming from a similar place. You know, I feel like com- comedians and actors, writers, is the only thing that like m- wants to multi-hyphenate everything mm. they do. I'm a writer, actor, poet, and like a chef doesn't go like, I'm a griller, sauteer, slash cut, sure, you know what I mean? Sure. Uh, for me, it's the same, you know, it's the many sides of the same 20-sided die or whatever. It's okay. like, uh, I-, I feel like I don't do very personal... Uh, uh, very personal, realistic storytelling. I don't think I do long-form storytelling very well. Sure. I think I do sort of the same form of just sort of clever little lyrical turns that have a little bit of emotion to them. I was saying, I, I, I could watch a show of a guy that's doing straight stand-up, sure. and I could say that guy's more um, virtu- virtuosic and... and well-rounded than I am, even though okay. someone might look at mine and say, oh, well, look, he's doing this. And yeah, I guess in a flashier sense, I look like I'm more, what's the word, uh, diverse or whatever on stage. Sure, okay. But uh, it's, yeah, to me, I feel like I'm, I am still doing a corner of a thing. 
Okay. It's just there's a lot of things that are untouchable for a lot of comedians, whether it's you pick up a prop and you're a hack, you pick up music, you're a hack. Sure. And, uh, you know, there's hacky jokes in every subject, just as there are you know, okay. good ones. Well, and that's probably better in Edinburgh than it is. Uh, there's probably a better attitude about that in Edinburgh than there is in America. You know, there's the boy with tape in his face. There's a, 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 you know, I saw like Claudio Doherty and Tim Minch and all sure, these people. Yeah. But in America, if you pick up a guitar, if you pick up a prop, you are you're automatically filed uh, mo- mostly mo- I mean, okay. you, have, you definitely have a lot to work against and that's and that's I mean we'll talk about that more in a, in a little while but that's very important to you that that idea of your the impression of you by your peers I mean presumably an audience isn't thinking this is hack hack is a probably a, a lot of people don't use the word hack in, in amongst audiences that's something that yeah amongst- probably not I mean there's been sort of a comedy nerd revolution in America uh, and I don't know if there's one here too. I think mm. there probably is like the blogosphere of like comedy nerds and stuff. And that's a good thing. But it, it, there's also like this weird, um, I don't know, it also makes, it bridges the gap between comedian and audience in sort of a weird incestual way. Where like in, like in America, for example, like Dane Cook is the most hated comedian in America. He's a big sure. popular comedian. He t- tours arenas and everything. And... Like it feels like everyone in the everyone my age hates Dane Cook because they know it's just sort of the cool thing in comedy circles to hate and all sure. of that. And uh, I, I I don't think comedy should sort of spin itself into a cool exclusive group to be a part of rather than be you know a real exchange of ideas between okay. a performer. Okay. And okay. Well, with that in mind, I something say. I something I felt about the uh, the opening section of your show without wanting to give too much away, but you have a pre-recorded section, uh, pre-recorded uh, speech and music section. And it's almost like I, I felt I was watching a mission statement whereby you were coming out going, I can do all comedy. Do you know what I mean? You were kind of going, there's this, there's that, there's that. I've, I've, you're, you're messing with our expectations so brilliantly. And you really are doing you know, that, whatever that thing is. You're doing it phenomenally well at incredible speed. And it's almost like the rest of the show takes place in the kind of the, the, sh- the audience's shocked reaction to that incredible opening number. Oh, thanks. Whereby, yeah, I think it's fantastic. But I wondered, is that was that something strategic about how you'd kind of gone? Okay, I felt like you were going, guys. I can be funny like this, like this, like this, like this, and like this. I've done it all. Now let's get on with it. Yeah, no, I, I, for me, it totally isn't that as much as I just like surprising people. I think comedy is sure. mostly surprise, and so a lot of those opening numbers are sort of magic tricks. If I'll give away some gags, doesn't matter. But like one of them is. Basically, I'm dance. It's this seven minute sort of backing track where I'm dancing and miming along to this thing. And uh, like two minutes in or something, it says, like, drink some invisible water. And I mime drinking water. And it says, ooh, that water is real. And I spit out the mouthful of water that I've had in my mouth the whole time. So it's like a little stupid sure. little magic trick for people. And I just always. Love that feeling. When I, I I was a huge fan of magic shows and clown shows when I was little, and that was such a fun thing for me to watch. And okay. uh, Comedy, very often when you watch it, it's that sort of like, oh, yeah, oh, oh, wow, what a great point, you know, but that wondrous reaction that you sort of only have to theater, I've, I've always just loved. Sure. Uh, and, and mostly and mostly my hour when I make it is just how I want to exist for an hour. You know, it's me working. Okay. This one's taken three years, and it's just really like I work for three years to be able to be like this for an hour because it's sure. just my it's my favorite way to. It, to it be, does. It know? does have a kind of a sweeping vision. Your show. It's like you've yeah. gone. I, I was wondering how much of it was. Uh, yeah, sorry. If anyone's I, going to the show, please don't <laughs> keep all these hikes. Just go in thinking, oh, this could be all right. Well, uh, okay. Well, that, <laughs> this could be in trouble. There was. <laughs> I tell you what. The reason. The reason it, it probably hit me so hard is, and I'll be honest here. I was predisposed to thinking, I, I don't know if I'm going to like this. And I tell you why that was because ninety percent of your audience is a screaming seventeen-year-old boy or girl. Yes, yeah. Some of whom will be in, <laughs> and that's fine. But as a 36-year-old man, mm. I was in the queue kind of looking around going, oh, I don't know if this is going to be for me. I, don't, I, I yeah. felt a bit alienated. So I, I wonder whether the – do you feel a pressure to do something that's going to blow people's minds, given that there's kids there almost willing you to blow their minds? Well, the thing – yeah, when I was here last time, I was here three years ago. And at that point, I, I was sort of – not comfortable with m- my audience being young and being my age. And I was okay. a little self-conscious about it with other comedians. Why, you know? why was that? Well, for that very purpose, that a comedian would come to my show, see my audience, and say, this isn't for me. This sure. is, you know. And I had people saying snide things, like, well, the young girls seem to like your show, or whatever. Um, but then I realized, uh, 
Can, what, can what I just, I can I just ask, were, were comedians actually saying that to you, or was that, was little, that the, the reaction you were anticipating? No, there were little snide things, okay. but it wasn't, uh, truthfully, and, and with that, comedians have been unbelievably nice to me across sure. the board, and okay. accepting me, way more than I would have thought of. Uh, but I was sort of unsure about my younger audience, and um, I, I, I was wanting this comedy crowd, the comedy crowd that everyone else had that's so cool and open-minded and knows comedy. So when I'm, when I, what I feel like, I feel like a lot of my jokes are deconstructing f- sure. things you should know about comedy. So I wanted that crowd. Um, but I realized, oh, I'm getting this crowd that a lot of times tell me that it's their first time they've ever been at a comedy show. So mm. they're coming in with no expectation or so open-minded. So they might not be looking at my show going, wow, I've never seen stand-up done quite like this but mm-hmm. they're coming into it saying i've never seen stand-up what is this and sure. i get to you know i just to uh to have someone that's so open-minded and some of them are very young and impressionable mm-hmm. uh i'm like well i, I guess i it, you know i should take that responsibility on i okay. try to encourage them to be that creative or for me whatever. that 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 poses two questions one is that if there are people who don't necessarily watch a lot of comedy seeing your show how do when you're writing material that deconstructs comedy or plays on people's uh, anticipations of comedy? How does that? What's that dynamic when you're kind of mocking a, a stereotype of comedy that some of your audience may not have? Is that something you need to be aware of? When you're uh, yeah, it? slightly. I mean, it just challenges me to make sure that that stuff isn't completely self-indulgent. It better be funny on its own. You know, mm-hmm. that, that, I think that's a problem that sometimes people get lost in it's like it's an in joke and the only reason people are laughing is because they're self-congratulating oh we're not we don't like that type of comedy sure (laughs) it's like well do you like this type of comedy i mean you know like that's the strange thing that anti-comedy sort of spins itself into sure and at at a certain point it's actually just everyone sort of masturbating what can we say on this podcast (laughs) Uh, (laughs) we can say anything okay uh yeah so um i have to sort of sometimes be conscious of that but uh yeah again i i am still Mostly, I'm very confused by comedy. This is this new show I'm doing is called What because I'm I am very confused. But when I was here three years ago, I was very sure of what comedy was and what I liked and what I wanted, um, and what I didn't like and what comedy I thought was cool and not cool. Mm-hmm. And now I'm just very I don't know exactly what comedy is. I don't know what the purpose of it is uh, exactly. Like I hear people say, oh, it's to. Uh, it's to like um, affect social change, but sometimes it's mean, and sometimes it's bullying, and sometimes it's silly, and maybe it's pointless, mm. and maybe it's like uh, just like a little evolutionary hiccup, like maybe it's just apes fooling around before they get to space or whatever. But uh, sure, but so, you're happy to you don't. I mean, are you are you trying to look for an answer for that anymore? At the moment, you're just relishing your. No, I'm completely looking for it. I, I don't quite get it, so I'm trying to wrestle with that. You know, mm-hmm. I was more of a left-brained learner and a kid i was always into math and science and all those things um and all of those had a clear answer and a clear or at least a clear direction you don't know sure. what physics is exactly going you don't know what physics ultimate answer is but you know what it's working towards of okay. figuring out what the world is and comedy i don't i don't know what it is because i see it function as so many different things i look at some stand-ups and i say well that's encouraging homophobia and racism in this part of the world and that's just kind of capitalizing on hatred but this is kind of talking about us as a society this is being silly this is being dark you know do you th- uh, do you think with with that in mind do you think you were looking for uh, a formula for comedy at any point. I, I think I, I think I recognise a, a mistake I made or a, a step I took when I was a, a newer comedian um, that I thought there was a way comedy was done, and so I tried to emulate people who I thought were doing the way comedy was done. Have you ever been? Uh, oh yeah, for sure. I mean, my my the, all the show, the show I have now is an amalgam, I think, of so many comedians that I've seen here. Sam Simmons, the great Australian surrealist sure. comic. I, again, Tim Minchin and Bill Bailey, uh, Hans Taewin is this amazing Dutch yeah, comic. Yeah, and, uh, uh, yeah the, and, and that's why I first came to Edinburgh, because I was studying comedians on online. A lot of comedians uh, shit talk the fact that their stuff gets on YouTube or something. But I watched all – that's where I saw all these comedians I never would have discovered in America because they're not airing on American television. Sure. You can't get their Amer- DVDs in America. Uh, and I just studied all of these comedians and tried to see, okay, where, how's this one working? Why? I don't think I'm naturally funny. I don't feel like a funny person. I'm sort of introverted in real life. I'm not the life of the party anywhere at any time. Uh, but I felt like I have a keen eye, I think, for what works and what doesn't. So, yeah, I think my show is mostly a product of 
analysis. And what's the challenge in this new, I was trying to inject some emotion into it and trying to feel, because I also did theater my whole life. Mm. And uh, I, I don't, I want to be able to lose myself in something that at the end of the day, I know backwards and forwards, but sure. how can I, that's the challenge. You know, the guy that plays like Jean Valjean for 20 years in Les Mis, you know, mm. so the idea like, how do you get on stage and lose yourself in this mm. thing? And uh, so that's sort of the same thing for me. To what, to what extent do you think that, or to what extent do you feel that the character of Bo Burnham on stage yeah. is a, a part that you're playing? Or to what extent do you feel it's it's a part of yourself you're revealing? What, what's your what's your relationship to the you on stage? I think the I think the what the me the true me that is revealing is the me who would who would want to write this, not the me okay. who's doing it. You know, uh, yeah, okay. I don't think I'm. That's, let's just just could you just sort of clarify that a little bit? The me, just say that again. I think the main character of the show or the mm. me in the show is the person who wrote. And created all of this that's okay. happening, you know, because a lot of the times I'm interacting with backing tracks or I'm playing dumb to a backing track that's speaking to me. And so my stage persona isn't me in that point. But like, mm -hmm. or, or if you want to try to figure out who I am, it's the one who wanted to kind of do all this. But on stage, yeah, I just adapt whatever I think is funny. If it's funny for me to be arrogant at this point or sad or silly or again, I, I'm a very I came from theater, so I'm not comfortable doing uh, uh, I'm just playing myself. It's not a, it's not a, it's never been a comfortable thing for me. So it, it it hasn't been comfortable for you to play yourself. I never do. I can't do like sure. a chat show. Okay. I can't do like a panel show or anything. I don't. I don't okay. know how. Have to you like... tried? Have you tried doing? No, that? I don't get that. I think like I, when I look at those guys that like can just sort of like turn themselves on, like they just. Mm. I don't know how to be like the funny bow and like regular conversation because it takes me three years to be funny for an hour, you know. So I don't get that, and I and I'm like, you're going to. I don't, I could never objectify myself. It feels objectifying in a weird way to like step outside yourself and be this sort of funny guy, you sure. know, that's like, and then it becomes you and it's your offstage persona and then you're sure. people expecting you to be funny and then you're, fun. I don't know, it seems crazy. And then the idea that like you'd step on stage and you're just kind of like transferring the show to hear like yes. you're sort of living the show yes uh, almost your... like it's task based like you're taking... yeah and, yeah. and, and, and the, I know plenty of people like that comedians like that and it's amazing to watch it's mm. amazing that you can be that funny all the time uh, it would be so exhausting for me and also I, I just I couldn't sure. do it so something that really uh, amazes me about all of your work is how you are able to uh, to put into words and into jokes the experience of teen angst whilst still kind of effectively being there. I mean, you're 22, mm. and are you... Certainly, the, a lot of the material you're talking about is you are describing what it's like. And, you know, feelings I remember from being when I was 18 or 19, mm. when you're just confronted with the enormity of the world, trying to find your place in it, trying to know what's the right thing to do about, say, you know, charity. There's, there's a song with some material you have about, you know, recognising that there's awful things going on in the world, and do I have responsibility to do anything yeah. about them? So you're, I think that's one of the things that younger audiences really react to and engage with in your work is that you are, you're exploring the crisis of being a teenager or of being a young person with the perspective of someone who seems to be looking back at it with 10 years experience. Uh, maybe. I, I'm not sure. I, I don't know totally about that because I don't think I'm trying to consciously do that. Like when I was here three years ago, um, it was the first time my show had ever been looked at in a way critically or anything. I never sure. sort of had that in the States. And people were saying, oh, it's so cool. It, like your choice to like go to try all these different things out because like you're like a young person, right? It sort of represents like young <laughs> okay. people trying things out and not knowing their place. So I'm like, sure. oh, that's what it was. Oh, that no, it's just me not knowing what I want to yeah, do okay. and trying all these different things. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I don't think I consciously do that. I have an impulse in me to struggle with things and get angry and be a little manic emotionally. And I think that probably connects mm. with, but I think it just, until this year, I was running away from that. I was sprinting away from being that per you know I mean I would like not even want to mention Facebook or Twitter on stage because yeah. I didn't want to be the 19 year old comedian you know I didn't want to be uh but now but but and and, and in running away from it people could see that <laughs> that need to get away from myself and what is more 19 than that what sure. is more 19 okay, yeah. than saying like oh I uh, no I'm, I'm I know what I'm doing I know what I'm talking about I'm an adult what are you talking about yeah uh, sure. that's so it, that came across as it so that's also the thing is that of course uh, most probably functioning of, of art is not on me to know how it's working. I'm not supposed to, I'm supposed to, you know, uh, look at it as closely as I can and, and work on it as closely as I can, but probably 
50% of how it functions should be out of my hands and should just be something that's unconsciously happening. Uh, and that's okay. probably some of it. I, I bet some of that isn't me. I don't want to be. I don't want to try to take myself out of my age too much. I think I just sure. Maybe some of that is just me being sure. my age. But you're but you're very much in in that. Whether or not the where, I, I suppose I'm not suggesting that you're looking back at it from a, an outside place. Just that you're you're experiencing it in an incredibly articulate way. Is that is that, is it that ability to articulate that crisis? This is all getting very pretentious. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm really enjoying this. I'm really kind of nerding yeah, out yeah, on it. Yeah. Um, but it, it seems to me that there's something about your... There's the kind of torture. Like you talk on stage about... Um, there's, there's, a, there's a line of sort of a snatch of a song that, where you're talking about like, yeah, what happens, what happens after the club? I, actually, I cry. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. What yeah, happens yeah, after the yeah, show? Yeah, 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 it's after the show. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's me alone crying. Yeah, yeah. And is that is that just playing with an idea, or is there any? I'm not suggest, I'm not saying do you go cry every night after the show, but what I mean is you're you're describing that sort of that torture of being a tortured artist. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I think mostly I have a self hatred for all of those thoughts. I have a, okay. a hatred that I like have the impulse to be like, oh man, I'm an artist. It's so hard. It's like, yeah. oh, my grandfather's laid bricks for 50 years. Shut sure. the fuck up. You know. Yeah. Okay. Uh, like I do hate myself for that, and I hate myself for being like. Even my problems are above first world problems. I mean, they're like ivory tower, high horse first world problems. I mean, it's unbelievable. So, and and mostly my hatred is for myself even indulging those thoughts that 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 this is something to crucify myself for. Sure. So I hope I'm sort of mockingly crucifying myself in that. Uh, sure. But Claudio okay. Doherty had a great show. I mean, her, if you've seen yeah, her yeah, show seen Pioneer, it. yeah. it's amazingly yeah. about. I think a lot about that. That like. The fact that we're complaining about these certain things is is pretty effortlessly funny because sure. uh, your audience is not going to be going through those problems. So uh, you have to sort of be open to the fact that, like, yeah, I'm a little silly for complaining about them. So this is Bo. And if you haven't seen any of Bo's work, as some of you might not have, I think it, it might be easy to write him off as precocious or pretentious. And I think he's really aware of that. You've really got to look him up. He's an absolute YouTube monster. He's got millions of hits on his videos. And he's also a phenomenal live performer. I was blown away by his show the previous night and still pretty giddy about it when we spoke. So I hope there's a lot here for you to get your teeth into. Um, you can see his stuff on YouTube if you have any concerns. Uh, if you have any uh, concerns is probably the wrong word. But if, uh, if you're sort of listening to it going, who is, this, who is this excitable young American chap? Check his stuff out. He was one of the first people to really explode uh, on YouTube. Uh, and with good reason, he just gets better and better and better. If you would like to see a selection of video highlights from this episode, have a look at youtube.com forward slash comcompod. And if you like that video, please do me a favour and share it with someone that you think might enjoy it. The plan here is basically to have a bit of a presence on YouTube that sends people who are Googling comedians to this podcast. That's all. I'm not planning to switch to YouTube completely. And I know a lot of you listening to this do so in your cars or whilst running. Please keep doing that. But have a look at the video. Share it around with someone you think might enjoy it. Um, on the subject of uh, running and driving, thanks to Mike Hill on Twitter, who tweeted me to let me know he'd been so absorbed listening to the show that he drove for two hours in the wrong direction and thus completely missed a Will Anderson gig he was going to. Many apologies to Mike and to Will. I'm sorry about that, but uh, pay more attention. You can tweet me at ComComPod or email me uh, info at comedianscomedian.com if you'd like to let me know how dangerously you've been driving or, or running as a result of the show. Uh, I think someone emailed recently that they listen whilst marathon training, so I feel very happy to be in the same gang as Kermode's film podcast and The Bugle in that respect. They're forever getting marathon runners uh, uh, emailing in saying, you know, give me a shout-out. I'm, I'm not really going to do shout-outs. <laughs> no one's asked for one anyway. But if you're listening to this whilst running... I probably I'll try to give you some tips on I don't know how to deal with the loneliness of running I suppose that would be thematic. Um, thanks as ever. Thank you all for your kind donations. Click on the PayPal button at comedianscomedian.com if you would like to support the show. And if you'd like to support the show but you don't want to pay, you can always just share the show with a new listener. Give me a rating on iTunes or share that video around. That will make me just as happy. 
And finally, if you'd like to see me do some work in progress, you can come along to the Prince of Wales in Brixton on Tuesday the 11th of February, where I'm doing a double header with Alexis Dubas, uh, who some of you will know as the head assistant of Marcel Lucant Enterprises. Or later that week, on Sunday the 16th of Feb, uh, you can come to Dave's Leicester Comedy Festival, where you can see me interviewing Jared Christmas at 5.30pm at Firebug. Tickets are available on comedy-festival.co.uk. And you can also see me previewing my new hour later that night at 8 o'clock at Handsome Hall, which is a pay-what-you-want event done through Bob Slayer's Heroes of Fringe. So tickets for that are available at, and I'm going to do this in one go, www.pay-what-you-want.info. That's all for now. Let's get back to the brilliant Bo Burnham. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'd like to talk about the the writing of the show, and you say it took you three years to put together. What was the what's the very beginning of that process after you put the the previous show after you sort of drew a line under that and went, okay, that's that. What's how, what's the very beginning? I'd like to sort of look through the process of you creating and assembling the material. Yeah, well, this this show I never did sets. That's the thing. It's like I'm coming here and I'm, I'm really I, I I can't do any little spots at night or anything because I don't know how to do this show in seven minute chunks it's very, i feel like it feels very weird out of context sure, or anything okay. um so yeah i never did sets to practice i would just sort of and is that true you never did the comedy circuit you never did club sets no i, I would before with with the previous hour because okay. it was sort of, i felt like it was sort of little, was little, little jokey yeah. chunks um but with this one i would just have to take like four or five minute segments and put it into my old show and then bit by okay. bit swap it out okay but yeah the hour was probably written almost a year and a half ago and then i just went back to every backing track and every bit and just did another draft okay. and another draft of it so every part of the show is, is on its like fourth or fifth draft sure. well, and take- then this year i was like okay i just need to stop doing this and, and put it out sure so so taking the jokes taking some of the one-liners for example like uh and you could i not you asking you it's to use good. up it's, your it's material okay, yeah. but you've got a lovely one-liner about if uh if jesus could walk on water could he swim on land yeah yeah. and that so let's just use that as an example did that just drop fully formed into your head no i think with you... one-liners it's like you just like think of an idiom for the most part it's like you think of an idiom and then you just play off so are it, you, you sitting know? at home with lists of idioms are you kind of look... no you just like come across one you know the okay. problem is like tweets have completely like blown <laughs> open the idea of one-liners it's like sure. you kind of just sit there and you're like uh, uh, uh. you know that's sort of okay. the whole process for those i think and do you use do you use twitter to kind of see have so a lot of uk comedians or one-liner comedians are saying mm. that they they'll tweet something and then depending on how many retweets it get they'll they'll go okay that gives me an idea of how warmly received it is oh that's that's terrible yeah uh, that's, that's the worst thing i've ever heard um no twitter for me i just put like topical stuff because i don't put topical stuff in my show i don't okay. like to put jokes that aren't gonna work and whatever you know so if i have like a joke like uh you know Will I am you're terrible or whatever. Uh, <laughs> then I'll just tweet it. Or, uh, but yeah, I don't sure. know. I think I put. I think I t- took one tweet that I didn't know would work so well, and I put it in my show. Okay. Yeah. So so, but with just staying with that joke, <laughs> are you? Do you ever find yourself like? Is there any part of your process that is a blank piece of paper and you like drawing a you know a brainstorming or drawing a spider diagram or any kind of written work like that, or are you? Does the writing happen on stage? What What's the... No, it definitely doesn't happen on stage. That's something okay. I, I definitely cannot do. I, I don't do much improv at all on stage. Uh, no, it is mostly sitting... I mean, a lot of it's... Uh, this show, I, I was actually in the studio, like, trying to make little tracks. And, okay. Uh, 
the worst thing about these track bits, these like are like five or six or seven minute long bits that you cannot just try out a minute of. So the sure, first time okay. I try them out, I do them in my full show, like at a college or something with 800 kids there. And I'm like hitting play and I have five minute bit ahead of me that I cannot get out of. I can't go okay. like this isn't working. So I have to completely commit to it. And that was scary because some of them didn't work. And there's probably five or ten tracks that didn't that just went by the wayside. Okay. That I thought so, were like, so, and, and the problem is, I go so hard for it. If you like, these tracks are giant jokes with like very physical, and I'm yeah. throwing glitter maybe and sure. ripping off like tearaway pants. So if it doesn't work, I have put myself out there. So it's like <laughs> when when it's not received, it's it's okay. Pretty brutal. Something that you that you that is sort of a stock in trade for you is you have. And I know people in the past have uh, sort of said you're like comedy's Eminem because you, were, you initially were working, you did lots of raps. Yeah. And there was a lot of <laughs> ironic kind of misogyny and sort of rap speak, you know, kind of really yeah. negative kind of ironic uh, racism and stuff like that. I just wanted to talk about that for a while. Given that your audiences can be so young, yeah. is that, do you feel like you've got to tread carefully as to Absolutely. how you like, say I, what you say? There's been like a lot of joke controversy in America. I know there's been a lot in the UK too. And uh, what the comedians always do is they always come out and go, it's jokes, man. It's like, sorry, this is comedy. Like, sure. there's no rules. Like, sorry, dude. Uh, and I... Uh, with, with less and less success. These, yeah. That defense is working less and less now, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. And, and pinned down more. And... I'm not for the other side, for the most part. When I hear the articulation of the other side, I'm, I'm not for it. But, yes, it's ironic racism and sexism and stuff. But irony is not always um, going to register with people. Mm-hmm. And also, I don't know if a lot of those jokes that I had were getting the fe- – I, I sort of maybe knew that I was getting feedback that wasn't fully ironic. But I got the laugh and I like that. Sure. Um, you know, I had a terrible thing that I wrote when I was like 16 and it's on YouTube. I sort of started by posting videos online and I wrote this song called The Perfect Woman. It was basically about like Helen Keller being like a perfect woman or whatever. And I hated it. And I three, you know, three years later now, I think, oh, there's some if you don't know Helen Keller's deaf, deaf and blind sure. woman, uh, that like some deaf girl in, you know, high school or middle school could have had like one of my lyrics like passed to her in a sheet of paper and felt like shit mm. and uh, I'm aware of that and it makes me feel horrible and I want to be able to stand by my material I don't want it to hurt people and I want it to have an effect on someone I'm not gonna, I, I don't value comedy more than anything else I don't value comedy more than empathy or other people or uh, my own humanity or something and I, and I feel comedians deify comedy to this giant place where it's like no comedy's like taking you and it's leading you to this dark place I've always heard that it's okay. taking you and it's leading and it's telling you this dark place is safe really is it always doing that or is it sometimes like you said the word Jews and now I'm laughing or you mm. said you know uh, I'm not uh, that feels like such an easy answer to give and I'm not saying it's the other one but I'm just not giving an answer yet Mm. And uh, I don't think people struggle enough with that. And then they look at people that are brilliant, like, you know, Louis C.K. or, or these giant people that can talk about such intense subjects. And they say, well, he can do it, so yeah. I can do it. You know, but that, that's the sushi chef with that deadly whatever sure. thing yeah. uh, that you can kill you. <laughs> the deadly what is whatever. What is yeah. it? What is it? <laughs> yeah, is it's, uh, it's some like sort a of puffer fish or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. okay. Um, yeah, so I'm not – I'm and, and, and I have a very, I feel like, offensive show, whatever that means. Mm. Um, I just try to look at is this going to cause people to be better or worse, you okay. know, after leaving? Okay. Is it going to make the world a better place or not? And that doesn't mean you go out and – because I'm not going to – I don't feel like an authority to go out and tell people like, oh, legalized gay marriage. Well, mm. But I think it's, it's good to encourage people to mm. be silly or to look at the world in a different way. Or I also do think it's amazing to bring people to a dark place and stand there and be like, oh, you know, that, that, sure. that is an interesting and artistic thing. And I don't – I actually don't necessarily think that comedy is moral inherently. And I think that's the problem. I think it is inherently amoral and that's sort of the problem. That when you sign up to a comedy okay. show, yeah. in the rest of the world and the rest of the arts and movies, everything is noted to death and it has to be good and it has to be a likable character. I love seeing Jim Jeffries and thinking, this guy's sexist and I don't agree with him mm-hmm. necessarily in what he's saying, but he is so funny and articulate. It's amazing for me to hear an opinion mm-hmm. that I think is maybe not even close to what I think but to be articulated in an amazing and funny sure. way is very compelling artistically. Sure. And with Jim, I mean, Jim was on the show last year and he was talking about how his self-deprecating nature 
like his that made that more allowable because for him he was the victim yeah i'm just wondering when you're when you're in a, a room of you know 1400 screaming girls who scream out their love for you and all the rest of it and you'd read when you read the poem i fuck Stars. it wasn't 1400 at all okay whatever it was then, yeah. yeah well i mean it was a, it took hours to get in there was a yeah. lot of people <laughs> but when when you when you read your the poem i fuck sluts yeah. which is a kind of it's written in a dr seuss kind of yeah. style what is the irony or how carefully are you treading there if there are people who are 15 or 16 years old how do you know that they're receiving a message other than it's okay to call girls sluts. Well, the thing is, I really slow down with the with that last thing because the whole thing is it's sluts, sluts, I fuck sluts. It's the whole sort of poem. But at the very end, I take very long time with the last verse, which is, but other sluts are pretty and funny and smart. They can lift all your thoughts from your dick to your heart. They talk about science, music, or art. They can put you together. They can pull you apart. But don't trust these sluts. Don't, don't you dare. Therefore, you trust them and love them and care. And then they'll be gone and you'll be aware of the hole in your heart that dumb slut left there. So it's about basically very clear and I very much slow it down at the end okay. to be like the person saying this poem had his heart broken and even after the poem and you I, say I he say, had his heart broken so it's okay so, so yeah so it's yeah. About, that poem for me is about is about the people who use the word slut sure and, uh, but yeah I, but I, you I, do feel responsibility but, well the to... problem is it does when I announce this poem is called I Fuck Sluts I get what yeah. And I'm like, all right, here's the work left to be done, I guess, you know. Sure. Uh, uh, but that's okay, you know, that's fine. And um, I wouldn't want to have – I don't want to preach to the choir, you know. And very often in comedy circles, I mean, you're preaching to the preachers. You're preaching to a choir of preachers or whatever. Uh, I, I, You know, I, I want it to be uh, – I like young people. I like people uh, – because I was that way when I was that age, you know. I was into uh, – Jeff Dunham. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's good. No, my grandfather. Uh, you know, that's the other thing. With uh, also like, um, I do love a lot of very popular comedians that are maybe more mainstream. People would think I would just have such hatred for Dane Cook or these popular comedians. But again, my grandfather laid brick for fifty years. He doesn't. And when he goes to a comedy show, he doesn't want to like sit there and see a deconstructed version of what comedy is now. Like, get up there and tell. Some fart jokes, and that's great, and that's perfect, and it's functioning perfectly for him. Mm. And he had a hard day of work, and now he's having a hard laugh at night. It's absolutely perfect, and I don't want that to leave at all. And I don't, I love that comedy for doing that for him. Um, yeah, so I just don't ever want you to think I, I'm very in my own head, but I, but I just, I love my own little corner of comedy for being that, mm. uh, a little corner of it. I don't, I, I, I just want, um, you know, I just want the, space to get a little wider and brighter, not necessarily uh, move in my direction. When you first started making YouTube videos in your bedroom, and yes. it should be said, these are the YouTube videos that went on to get, you know, 20 million hits or, you know, yeah. six, seven million or whatever. Um, what did you, when you first took the step to go from there onto a stage, mm. what did you think you would be like as a comedian? Do you think you would end up what do you did you have a vision of yourself as a comedian, and is that different to what you are now? Oh, for sh well, I don't think I had a vision of myself as a comedian. You know, the thing with I've had a little bit of success that's been wonderful, but with every step, it's been like, oh my god, if I ever got a CD in stores, oh my god, that'd be like, that's all sure. I can think. When I was sixteen, okay. if I had a CD in stores, that'd be unbelievable. And a CD in stores, I'm like, oh well, a lot of people have CDs in stores, I guess. Yeah, okay. And then it's like, oh, if I could have a half hour. Comedy Central special, which is in America, this little you get a half hour Comedy Center present. Sure. Uh, that would blow my mind. And then I got it. I'm like, well, this year they gave it to like 14 people and they're going to do 20 next year. It's this terrible, terrible thing if you yeah. climb this ladder and the rungs just start growing. It's not a very healthy thing. But uh, it's not a very healthy thing personally, probably. But it's actually maybe what lets you go further, which is, which is a terrible realization to me. It's like, oh, man, jadedness actually does pay off professionally um that's uh, interesting but, for okay. me, but I, I i try very much not to have it you know my mother always my mother like is a very good source of like you should be like you are you're in edinburgh can you believe it like look around like it's amazing sure. i'm like and i'm like yeah and i'm like it is amazing yeah. it's truly unbelievable and unfathomable that i'm are you here. are you so, having time to look around as you as during your meteoric rise and how <laughs> the much time you must be spending on on the shows that you're doing. See, Do you I always hear meteoric enjoy? rise. I only think of meteors as falling and crashing to the ground. I don't know. It's always meteoric rise. I'm I mean, like, what is You, you will this? definitely die at the end, <laughs> yeah. but at the moment it's beautiful. That's, yeah, it's yeah. such a strange, strange word. Such a strange... <laughs> 
but are you, are you do you think you're getting to are you smelling the roses as you go or are you I've always said like if I smell the roses I would faint so I try not to because uh, I feel like there's a certain blindness I need to personally have if I fathomed that I was on stage like yep 700 people whatever are facing this way and I could just stop talking and it would yeah. fuck everything up and would yeah. ruin everyone's night you know uh, a lot of comedians say like ah man if the, you know have this thing with the audience like ah they don't like it fuck them you know what I mean I wish I could do that but like I'm like these people paid twelve pounds or whatever. Like they, this is their night outs for some of the. Like I need to put on a good. Like seven hundred people's nights are in my stupid, stupid hands, and if I, I'm gonna ruin it, you know. So I, I, uh, I'm, I'm panicked about that, you know. Uh, yeah, not good. <laughs> and what is it that you're? What is it that drives you? What is it that you? When you come off thinking that's it, I nailed it. What was it that happened? Is it that some more, a good common thing in comedy is that people want the approval of a crowd. They want the love of a group of strangers. There's something, you know, it's, we can sort of, you know, treat it lightly and go, okay, you know, there's something missing in your life that means you need that or you're, you're not happy in something else that means you'd rather be on tour around the country performing to strangers than at home in the arms of your loved ones. Yeah. Do you have a, what's your take on that? Do you, do you, what is it that makes you go, yeah, this is, this is why it's worth doing? Probably a little bit of everything, you know? Uh, definitely, like, the attention, definitely the money and all that stuff. I mean, that's, like, certainly, you can't lie about those things. That those, those are very, I think, pretty low in the list. Money, money lower than attention. I think attention's much higher than money on the list for me. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, you can't, like, exclude all those things that are wonderful or whatever. It's a, as much as even coming here and getting a lanyard, like, and walk in and be like, hey, I have a lanyard. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's, like, a, that's, like a, that's a powerful, amazing thing to feel like you have um but uh yeah the most profound experiences for me are creating something that i feel like is new doing it on stage and feeling like i'm losing myself in it that that's the thing for me if i and i and i try to do it every night and it doesn't work every night and it certainly doesn't work throughout the whole hour but if i can lose myself in something that i've made uh completely forget about everything and just have this strange be I, I don't, it's 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 hard to it's actually it's sort of hard to explain uh what the feeling is of losing yourself on stage with an audience there and it's just working and uh but that's certainly what i'm chasing the problem is my nerves before a show have just lengthened and really? my high after a show has shortened you know sure. <laughs> i'll be excited for two minutes maybe after uh, when i'm off stage and then immediately it's sort of um done and everything you know and then you have your best sh- the problem is you have your best show in the world and that that, that immediately becomes the the target by which all the yeah other that's the, the, yeah. exactly yeah so yeah. that that's not totally easy and uh you know i'm worried that all this stuff is happening so young for me and i'm contextualizing it so quickly so young that i worry about where i'm going and where how i'm going to feel about it but i'm i think I'd, I'd be comfortable just becoming a writer sort of drifting off stage i think of myself as having a very punchable face so i feel like any year now people could not want to see Matter it of time yeah. and i have to be okay with that um but yeah i'm having i'm having a good time so far with it do you have any kind of like a, a secret backup plan for disappearing and doing something totally unconnected to performance no not not totally unconnected but I, i've just been working on writing mm-hmm. really steady i, I want to have a skill that works without my name or my face because that seems like something sure. that is just completely out of my hands and that's something i've been trying to work on is that not grounding my happiness in things that i can't control which is the approval of others and the approval of uh strangers just that i mean i can't really i mean it's, it's impossible not to have it affect you but if i can try to ground the thing what it, my happiness and what i can control which is my relationship with my work challenging myself even if no one gives a shit next year i can still challenge myself and feel like i'm doing something new mm. and if i can get the happiness uh from that i i, I hopefully will be okay man i know comedians in their 40s who don't know that they have to do that yet you've got a real you've got a real drop on that you've got a real long term you know that sounds like Hey, sounds like early good, death. Good it sounds like I'm headed for an oh, yeah. early death. <laughs> <laughs> uh, does anyone have any questions? Yes, over here. How more different and uh, difficult was it to write Zack Stone? Zack Stone, which is a, yeah, I made a, a TV series. It ran for 12 episodes in America on MTV and it got canceled. Uh, it was sort of a mockumentary about a kid pursuing fame or whatever. Uh, it was a great question. Um, it was difficult in some ways and less difficult in others. I, I did uh, something I miss from theaters, like collaborating and collaboration. That's like the greatest part about. Uh, a lot of working creatively and with stand-up it is 
Yeah. It is. It doesn't help. It's the worst thing to do to be. And I think I actually benefited from not coming up in the clubs and not seeing. I was just completely working in my parents' house, like without any reference for other comedy. So I think. Uh, but yeah, it was. It was a lot of fun to learn how to work with other people and to learn to write with other people. And uh, yeah, it's a whole different process making a show than uh, making my. Because with the stand-up, I can just worry about being funny mostly the whole time, and then thematically, you can kind of just like make a vague idea. But working with Stories and acting is much. I don't even say it's much more difficult. Just a whole sort of another thing. You know, there's eleven people in the writers' room, and uh, you know, actors improving and contributing to that. So I'm I'm much less an owner of that show than I am what, my own show. What did that feel like to be in the writers' room with eleven, ten other people, and you, and for it to be your show, to which you're gonna, you know, you're the sort of flagship of the show you're writing yeah there was a there was a co-creator with me was sort of the the showrunner or whatever and i was Mm -hmm. just sort of like the shithead that just woke up and like hair was still wet and just was sort of you know what i mean so i was able to just sort of be the idiot sort of creative guy and he was having to stand up with his broad chest and a whiteboard marker and everything okay yeah so i wouldn't have been able to do that This is about the song Nerds and your emotional and personal connection to it. Did, what, did you find it hard emotionally to, when you were writing it or when you were performing it? Yeah, the Nerds isn't a part of my live show. I'll sometimes do it in encores, like if I'm uh, doing a live show. But it wasn't written for a part of my stand-up. It was just sort of written on the side. It's sort of a separate musical thing that I just sort of released for free on SoundCloud. It's just sort of a studio track. And yeah, it was basically just like I had heard all these ner- anthems for nerds. You know what I mean? And there was two two anthems for nerds which is one is like you're a pretty little snowflake which is just ridiculous and then the other one which is I think way more malicious which uh, I think Glee had this one which is like um, I'm a nerd now but you're going to be pumping my gas someday it's like oh so we're going to fight bullying with like future elitist bullying it's like the terrible (laughs) terrible thing to do like the person that's bullying you is probably coming from a terrible place. You don't know his situation. You know what I mean? Everyone just sort of, again, like high school, like comedy, I just think it's sort of amoral and everyone's just coming from shitty kind of places and some become the victim and some become the whatever. But yeah, that that song really I wanted to try to express just rather than give answers to bullying or what you should do because I don't feel like I'm qualified for that, just sort of reflect the anger that I had felt and maybe just reflecting the anger would make somebody feel better. But yeah, um, I've gotten close to breaking down, not not lost in my own thing, but I've seen, when I see like a little, you know, 15-year-old kid in the, in the crowd with his eyes up, that, that makes me feel good, you know, that this is hopefully resonating with people. Again, my I, the good thing is my job is not meant to be, I'm not meant to like my work. I don't have to love it. I mean, I, that's luckily not my job because I would not be good at it. So, uh, um, yeah, but you're not, you're not meant to love your work. Yeah. It's, I'm, it's not my job to think I'm, uh, you know, oh, I see too. you know, I mean, get lost in or anything like I, sure. I, I'll get off and be like, fuck, you know? Um, but yeah, so I, I'm much more affected by seeing the audience being affected. Like I try to meet people after it's hard here, but after every one of my live shows in the U S I try to stay after and meet everybody because I need that without that. It's not so much the, I need to know that it worked for people because if it didn't, I'll get off stage and think I sucked. So to uh, you know, presumably you've. I mean, have you ever had the situation where people have hung around afterwards to tell you they hated it? No, no. But but you get like the typical. You get like a sixteen year old girl being like, "Hey, you were terrible." You know what I mean? Like being yeah, as sure. a joke or something. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh, well. uh, <laughs> you know, it's like having, Yeah, there's so many things. You're you're so tall. They say, "How tall are you?" I say, five seventeen. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so there's like <laughs> you have all your little canned responses. They say, "Oh, you look so much smaller online." I say, "Well, yeah, it's a small screen or whatever." Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's uh, I, I very much try to connect to the kids and uh, whatever, or the audience, because I think it's um, probably all, all that I'm doing, you know, if you strip it away. Do you, do you build up a resistance over time to, to people telling you that you're fabulous? Um, no, it's more a, a recontextualizing, I think, of hate versus love. Because what I hear is like a lot of common thing with singers or young people is like, the haters, screw the haters, man. There's always going to yeah. be haters, but there's always going to be people who love you. Like in that new Miley Cyrus song, forget the sure. haters or whatever. And it's act- and that's a, I think it's a deadly mindset to have because if you believe the love, you're always going to believe the hate. And if you can recontextualize both and realize that the love that you're getting is equally distant from the hate that you're getting, I think you're going to be in a much healthier place. So I look at people that say, I love you, oh my God, and I realize that, that they don't love, they love the idea of me. They love, just like the person that says, I, I hate you, you're a unfunny whatever. Um, 
they don't hate me. They just don't like my stuff. So I realized that mm. mostly the opinion of strangers ranges between liking my stuff and not liking my stuff. But if you try to coax and fix the hate that you get with the ridiculous love you get, you will never stop believing the hate because you're mm. believing the other side of it, if mm. that makes sense. Absolutely. It's interesting. I wonder how you arrived or how quickly you arrived at that conclusion, given that when a new comedian starts and a new comedian goes out in the clubs and does open mic spots, you will get a few heckles or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Whereas you, presumably, as a new YouTube yeah. video creator with 7 million hits, uh, you're going to have an unbelievable amount of negativity. Yeah, the first video I posted, the first comment was Go Go Gadget Faggot, which Go Go Gadget... <laughs> Go go! And it was literally like, "Welcome to the internet." Yeah. Go go gadget is like a, a, a inspector gadget was like an inspector. We'd be like, "Go go gadget helicopter," and the sure. helicopter would come out. So it's pretty brilliant that the guy would think <laughs> inspector gadget would say, "Go go gadget faggot," and I would appear. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of kind of amazing. But um, I mean, and you, but, but it was literally like, "Welcome to the internet," and sure. uh, yeah. Um, and unlike a heckle in a club, you know that guy had a lot of time to think about that. Yeah, that was, and, you know, and it's amazing, yeah. and, and, and it showed. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, it's not easy to contextualize, you know, and it's not easy. I mean, it's not easy to take at face value and then it's not easy to contextualize things. And then responses from people don't become real. You know, I don't want to become the person that dismisses anything from people, but you have to, because if you're accepting all, you know, it doesn't make any sense. It's a very, it's a, this is the struggle of, you know, doing this is like, I know it's a very perverse job and a job that probably doesn't lead to a healthy mind. And I think Mm. even more, and I feel like success is probably the worst, only leads to worseness because it's more people and it's grander scales and it's smoke blown up your ass just like 24 seven. And it's, uh, Mm. so it's, it's hard. It's very, very hard to, to stay grounded. So that's why I think it's, easy for me to flirt with disaster at all times because I probably maybe want it subconsciously, you know. Anyway, see ya. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's fascinating. Okay, just the idea that you might... Because I think to to the outside world, and and coming back now maybe to other comedians... um, it looks like you can you can do no wrong. It looks like you know everything you do is incredible. Everything you do gets fantastic reviews, all all that kind of stuff. It's interesting to to think that maybe and and that might well not be a reasoned or intelligent uh, look at your your success. But it's interesting to think that if things do work for you a lot and you'll get a lot of success very young, maybe there is a part of you that thinks, you know, maybe it would maybe the idea of it all going horribly wrong is sort of. Like looking over the edge of a cliff and thinking, oh, maybe I should. Yeah, you know, yeah. A little mad thought, I'll just jump off. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you're like high, hot, hot on the cliff and there's like cool blue sparkling water below. Um, but like, no, yeah, you know, I just look at a lot of people, the people my age that have done very well and stuff, and I see how they're dealing with it and doing well with it, quote unquote. I'm like, I don't think I want to be that person. I don't think mm. I want to have that mindset because that'll just make me blind to things you know like people managing their fans like, i love my fans i love my fans like my fans are the best fans in the world guys are they because they buy your shit and <laughs> fund your houses you douche like of course you love your fans like loving your fans is the most ridiculous you know uh i hate like you know fan from like fanatic it's a crazy term and insane you know it's like people like your stuff for your most diehard fan thinks of you 0.1% of their life. You know, they're, they're not your fan. They're a person that, you know, once in a while likes your... I don't hear anyone else calling people like, hmm. I don't know, customer, which even is terrible, sounds less bad than sure. fan to me. Have you ever have you ever approached the, the business side of, of cultivating an audience? Have you ever done that? Yeah, this that is this whole... Strategically? Uh, this, uh, this whole talk has been a very strategically planned sort of sellable <laughs> arty guys into this stuff um no uh but i, I mean I'm now for a lot of uh, club comedians there's more and more now that social marketing has become not just a fad but something that has proven results again and again there's now almost like cottage industries of people going i can help you a comedian how to engage with social marketing yeah i think a problem is that like self-promotion has taken the top spot in comedians priority for young comedians like mm. the priority what when when I think that good material promotes itself, I know that sounds that sounds a little, but uh, it is. I mean, that's certainly the most important thing. And if you're self promoting and you don't have good material to direct them to, nothing's going to stick. Sure. Uh, so that seems a little a little bit of a problem. And um, 
uh, yeah, I don't know. But give, too I mean, much given, of dialogue with people is also a problem, you know, because okay. you want at least some distance because it's okay. audience and performer. You know, you, you don't want like with anything that's that you're consuming or watching. You don't want, you know, it's like with these movies giving like seven trailers and eight teasers. You sure. know, what I mean, you're way too familiar with it. Sure. And I try to keep just a little bit of a distance with people because I want there to be some mystery that I can yeah. reveal. I, or I something. want Kiefer Sutherland to be Jack Bauer. I don't want to meet him in a bar. Well, that's the other thing. <laughs> I, I I like hate. I think like movie stars are like so antithetical to like the art of movies because like in theater when you go see like a live theater show you've never if you see one of the amazing shows here you have never seen this person so they are that character you know mm. and even in the mm. most brilliant movies nowadays like oh let's see Philip Seymour Hoffman try this thing on you know yeah. I wish that I think like the greatest actors should be in like two to three movies. It should be like, did you hear like Daniel Day Lewis is doing another movie? He's doing three movies. Can you believe yeah, the guy yeah, has okay. done three movies? That's amazing, you know? Uh, but now, yeah, it's just like, you're not even seeing characters anymore. It's like, oh, so like Paul Rudd's name is Simon in this? Fuck off. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's like, so it's like, why even change it? Um, and I love Paul Rudd. I think he's amazing, but it's like, there's amazing actors all over the world. There's amazing, amazing actors that deserve their spot, you know? And I, and I don't, Really love that. As opposed to, like, I do think, like, writers and comedians and stuff, there's a different flexibility in what the art's supposed to do, as opposed mm -hmm. to actors in a film who are just sp supposed to disappear behind a character. And uh, so that sort of sucks. I love the intellectual crowd I'm attracting. That's great. Um, so the question is, um, the, there's a running theme in your show of your dad's disapproval of what you do. Is that, uh, is that a conceit for the sake of the show? 100%. My dad runs my merch store. Like I have like a merch, I have a merch store like online. Like my dad like sells my t-shirts. He wears my t-shirts like all around the house every day. I don't want t-shirts, but I let him have his little t-shirt selling thing. One hundred percent. I actually do not like talking about my personal life on stage. I talk about my personal life as in my own struggle, but I do not think that anyone else in my life signed up for this exposure, so I do not want to give it to them. And I, you know, I, Louis C.K. is an amazing comedian, a brilliant comedian, but I wonder what's going to happen when his daughters get to be mm. in middle school and someone says, hey, you spread your vagina open when you were three, right? I heard that in the CD. Yeah. You know, that, that's scary to me, and sure. I, don't, I don't like that, and I don't want anyone to come up to any member of my family or any of my close people in my life and assume that they know them because of what I've heard. I signed up for this. I am not sure what I signed up for yet. Mm. And I'm not going to sign anyone else. So are, the, are the, the characters, the, the human characters in your show, all fictionalized? Well, they're, they're ideas of people. If you think like at the very end, that bit with the three people I'm talking mm. to, they're broad people in my life. But yeah, when I talk about my mother and my father, you know, that, that's all for jokes and, and less for, um, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it informs something. But uh, yeah, I just—it's again—it's—it's—it's it's, it's a, it's a protective thing for me. What, what would you say you've improved upon the most since your since your inception as a comic? Um, yeah, well, with the songs, I think I've just made them slightly more meaningful and thematic. Before the songs, I felt were just sort of like carousels of one-liners, basically just sort of a rhythmic version of the stand-up and the jokes. It was all just sort of one thing packaged. You know, it was like felt like it was like spam and different shaped cutouts or something and uh, now I'm hoping and it was from people like Tim Minchin and Bill Bailey who do these amazing comedic songs Tom Lehrer in uh, saying oh no no songs can function as this sort of different thematic jokey thing and trying to utilize it like that so I hope I what do you say the mind oh oh that's yeah well that that one's a particular yeah I have this sort of the, the left right brain I have this mm -hmm. sort of song in my show where uh, it's sort of a backing track and I split my mind into my left and my right brain. That's sort of this Jekyll and Hyde between my left and my right brain just talking to each other. And uh, yeah, that was sort of, that one was particularly influenced by by um, just Jekyll and Hyde theater product. Mm -hmm. David Hasselhoff played Jekyll and Hyde on Broadway. Broadway, <laughs> I saw it and I was like, this is amazing. I'm going to steal this for a comedy show and no one will believe me. <laughs> so uh, uh, yeah, so I, I don't know. Again, like I can't remember what I did and I I don't tr I don't try to understand exactly how far it's gone or where it's gone. Just try to kind of barrel forward. But uh, yeah, just I, I, I just try to. I don't know. It's more when I think of my comedy from when you're watching my YouTube videos to now. It's basically like what what were you like when you were 16 versus 22? You know, that's that's basically what it was. It, it changed because it was uh, 
me changing. You know, the problem I I could have very well you know say the little six I, but the sixteen year old with a guitar into my thirties or whatever that but that would have been so 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 terrible. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I just I think it just changed with me because that's the, that's that's the biggest six years of your life. I feel like in your minds, I. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Bo Burnham. Thank you. Thanks, man. Thank you. So that was Bo. What a charming guy and what a thinker as well. That's a great point he made about the possible consequences of Louis C.K.'s material. And I also loved hearing what Bo had to say about dealing with fans throwing themselves at him. That that thing of if you accept the love, you have to accept the hate. Um, particularly interesting when you recognise that Bo must have been one of the first comics to have developed under that kind of constant web-based abuse. Can't have been easy. Bo's got loads and loads of stuff to buy if you buy it through audible.co.uk slash forward slash whatever kind of slash audible.co.uk slash cc you can get a free download of any one of those audiobooks he's got loads of stuff you can get there um, when you sign up for a trial you get a free download of the audiobook and because of the cc bit it does mean of course that i get something for sending you their way just another way to support the show if you don't fancy a straight donation let me know your thoughts email me tweet me do check out youtube.com slash comcompod if you'd like to see the video highlights of my conversation with Bo um, with Bo sorry or share them with a friend and that's all for now thanks to James Lowie Pete Jones Pete Dobbing Ben Lund Conlon thanks to Nathan Wood who co-produced this episode more next week uh, and who have we got next week I'm just checking it's Norman Lovett this was uh, an absolutely delightful one very very different in tone <laughs> we probably say about a fifth as many words uh, in that chat with, uh, with Norman as we do with Bo Uh, But tune in, that'll be next week. We're sticking to it. Speak to you then.